Today we're talking about the impending extinction of medical dermatology and how to get your patient to a dermatologist faster. Was Jerry Seinfeld right when he called us dermatologist pimple poppers? You're listening to Reach MD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Neil Badia, who's a dermatologist in practice in Milwaukee and associate professor of dermatology at the University of Wisconsin, and he's in our studio. It's much more fun to interview in person. Welcome, Neil. Thanks, Michael. We're talking about medical dermatology. The perception is, in the medical community and in, in the general community, it's impossible to get to see us. Let's recap on that. So how does the internist or how, does, how do they instruct their patients to get to see us faster? I tell my internist and family practice colleagues that if they're in a jam, pick up the phone and call me, and I can get that patient in as fast as I can. That's really the simplest answer. How fast? If there's something that's emergent, patients maybe got a melanoma, they've got a desquamating rash, I say, how fast can they get here? I'll wait until they get here. One thing that bothers me, too, is in hospital consultations. I did them early on in my practice, and I found out that 95% of hospital consultations for dermatologists are basically something that can be managed as an outpatient or something that it's basically a ploy to get the patient an appointment faster. And the major thing that I tell, again, my hospital colleagues is tell me what's going on, tell me the problem you're facing. And granted, if it's a patient in the ICU, I run over there. If they're in the emergency room, I drop everything and I talk them through it. If it's a transplant patient, oncology patient, or something of a very serious nature, I'm in the hospital before I know it. But if it's something remedial or if it's on the day of discharge or the patient's being held, and it sounds like something that could be managed better as an outpatient, I make sure I get that patient in the next day or the day of discharge when they're going home so I can manage them from there. Because, for example, if they need surgery done or if they have something, some other needs or perhaps need samples, the, the hospital formulary for drugs is a lot different than the formulary for what they can get as an outpatient. And I want to make sure they get the best care possible, which unfortunately for dermatology and a lot of outpatient specialties doesn't happen in the hospital. Right. I do the same thing. But I hear primary care doctors complaining in certain areas of the country they can't get dermatologists to do consults. Do you think it would be better and easier? I mean, in my hospital, what happens is I get a call from a nurse to do a consult. The doctor never calls. Exactly. How about calling the dermatologist and asking them to come in? Right. And I think if that were to happen and we could have a two-minute dialogue about what the patient's problem is, what is possibly happening, I could at least give recommendations over the phone that would get them through until the time that I could see them. More importantly, at least we could get them to a point where they're stabilized if it's something serious until I can get there. But again, it's really a matter of the doctor themselves, if it's important enough to get that patient seen by a dermatologist, to actually make the effort and pick up the phone to speak to me directly, to just tell the unit clerk or the nurse that, oh, well, this patient needs to be seen in the hospital, and I'll say, what for? Well, they need a biopsy done. And that just leaves me absolutely hanging out to dry because I have no idea what that means. I have no idea what the primary condition is. I don't know if it's serious. I don't know where that patient is in their health stage in the hospital. So none of these things are really helpful to me unless I speak directly to the physician itself. You know, my father-in-law, who was one of the wisest men I ever met, said once to me that all problems in life, all of them are problems of communication. Mm -hmm. So maybe we can emphasize that, that we need to start better dialogues between ourselves. I think the general practitioners think we just hide in our offices and see a bunch of acne all day long and then drive home in our Mercedes after doing all the cosmetic procedures. Absolutely. It's not true, is it? Not at all. It creates a perception, and that perception spins out of control until we can't undo it without actually making some effort. When I moved back to Milwaukee, I made sure that I went to the hospital, I put my name out, that I was here to, to be helpful to my colleagues, but 
More importantly, I wanted to make sure that if I did see a patient, I called that primary colleague back and told them what is going on, this is the problem. And that starts the flow of communication from our end. So it's a plea for communication. Even if you you talk to somebody who really doesn't want to do a consult but needs to. Absolutely. Guilt them, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Remind them that they're a doctor. Well, that's really where it comes down to. Because as we probably will hit on, there are a lot of non-physicians doing what we used to do, such as treating acne. You know, we have laser centers marketing themselves as being able to treat rosacea and psoriasis and eczema all with lasers, and there's not a physician on staff. So this is basically what's come down to the perception of treating skin disease, is you can go to the mall, have it treated by someone of a nursing degree or someone who's even less than that, and the perception is that it's equivalent to being seen by a dermatologist. Did we sell out as dermatologists? I think maybe there is a component of that, but it's hard to point fingers at you know, individuals or at a time frame, because this is all something that's evolved. And you can see maybe on the state board level or state regulatory level that more and more lobbying has been done on behalf of estheticians and non-physicians or physician extenders to expand their scope of practice, all under the perception that there's an access problem again. So I think it all kind of spiraled out of control. There also is the, and again, a lot of dermatologists or even other specialties are guilty of having physician extenders see their new patients And if you're a primary doctor and you're sending a patient over and a physician extender is seeing that patient as a new one rather than the dermatologist, is that creating a perception that they're being shortchanged to see the dermatologist and they should just do it themselves? I think that's something that I make sure if I'm working in an office or I'm around an office of physician extenders that I'm seeing those referrals or consultations because that's not fair to my colleagues to basically, you know, put them in that mindset. Not that there aren't good physician extenders out there, but it, again, creates that perception that perhaps dermatology can be done by anybody. Right. For years, the R Academy yelled and screamed that primary care doctors are not qualified to handle skin diseases. And now we, not me, I don't hire anybody, but in my, in, we dermatologists hire physician extenders and let them do the work. They're, they're qualified, but the internists were not. Exactly. It's kind of hip- hypocritical. If you just tuned in, I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and we're talking today with Dr. Neil Bhatia, a fascinating discussion about dermatology, medical dermatology, whether it's going to survive in the future, and what we dermatologists need to do to work more closely with primary care doctors to make sure that doesn't happen. Okay, back to your comment. No, I was just thinking about, again, you know, how we can undo perception of the concept that dermatology is easy. And I think one of the ways, again, is to make sure that we're all educated on a very high level of what is new in dermatology and what is a good advance of therapy that's going to be helpful to our patients. And unfortunately, we have a lot of colleagues who perhaps don't go to as many conferences or are as well-read, and they're not comfortable with new treatments. And my message to them is if you're not comfortable, go and get comfortable because somebody else will at our expense. And I think that's really the, the potential for demise of medical dermatology down the road. And our message is not to say, you know, we can just be complacent while we give our, all the psoriasis to the rheumatologist to treat or we give all the eczema to the pediatricians to treat. Our perception should be that we are the source the final stop for all of the issues that have to go with the skin. And whether it has to do with giving high levels of of systemic medications for serious problems or doing the investigations that are necessary to make sure that we're not missing the complex diagnoses or making sure that we're not just glossing over, you know, severe medical problems that involve the whole patient's profile, not just their skin. These are the things that dermatologists have to make sure that we're consistently doing on a regular basis. In your opinion, do you think that the primary care doctors are treating their own eczema and treating their own warts because they feel that it's an access problem or because 
they're doing the same thing everybody else is doing. More patients is more income. That's the bigger thing right there. And if they see that a dermatologist put the, the patient that they referred on the exact same therapy, over time, that's going to create the mindset that says, well, I'm doing the exact same thing. I must know just as much as they do. So why should I even bother making the referrals? You know, I've been around long enough in dermatology where I remember the days when there were no generics and everything was branded. And I'd have a patient sent to me on one brand of triamcinolone that wasn't working, and I'd just switch the brand, Mm -hmm. and the patient would get better because it was the magic of going to the specialist. Exactly. Unfortunately, as colleagues go, whether they're advanced in age or they're working part-time or for any other reason, a lot of our colleagues in dermatology are, are becoming less and less comfortable with more aggressive therapies or combination regimens or even staying on top of what is new and advancing in, in treating patients medically. Let's talk about some of that. You wrote a wonderful article in Practical Dermatology called Use It or Lose It, Rebuilding Medical Dermatology. You're talking about getting comfortable. What, what are some of the therapies that dermatologists can and should be using. I, I'm going to start with one which is very interesting, sleeping pills, because after I read your article, I think I had prescribed sleeping pills not at least five patients who needed it. And I would never think to do it. It's like, I don't really want to do this, but wait a minute. I can do it. Well, sure. Well, because we have a prescription pad and a pen. Why is it that we can't control how many pills that patients get for their limited amount of time? And we get we have this impression that, oh, we start sleeping pills, they're going to get addicted, or they're going to start having side effects, or we're already reading to the end of the book chapter before we even started chapter one with that patient's problem. But think of all the patients who come to us with itching or with, with things that don't heal, for example. What's the number one thing they say? I can't sleep. So why, instead of giving them therapies that are going to be complicated, like sedating antihistamines that may not make them function the next day, or things that are possibly more complicating, whereas sleeping pills that are proven to be effective you know, without mentioning any brand names, that are on television all the time and in their head, why is it that patients can't be kept asleep and made sure that they're staying healthy so they can still function in the workday? And there's a big misconception, again, that sleeping pills are going to be highly addictive and put them at high risk and they shouldn't operate machinery, which is all true, but under the right circumstance, under the right guidance and the right analysis for which patient needs what, we can easily help those people sleep better so that they're not scratching all night so they can still function during the day. And I think one of the biggest misconceptions about sleeping pills is that they're going to stay asleep. But the real, the, I think the reality for most of the sleeping pills on the market is it's not going to put you to sleep, but once you are asleep, it'll keep you asleep and give you healthy sleep. Right. What about the, the Zoster vaccine? I've been discussing this with internists, and they're kind of like all over the board. They want to give it. They don't want to give it. It's a matter of cost, not being reimbursed for it. From a practical standpoint, that is one of the biggest problems. It's, it has to be purchased up in advance, or if it's a Medicare patient, where does that go under a medical or pharmacy benefit or what have you? But Again, think of the the debilitating condition that herpes zoster is. Once they add the post-herpetic neuralgia, once they're dealing with the scarring, and once things like superinfection of those areas come about, especially if it's around the eyes. So if you have a high-risk patient who is possibly a candidate for it and down the road would possibly have severe outcomes for it, wouldn't it make sense for the dermatologist to screen that patient out and give that patient the vaccine so that they're not running into trouble. Do you know what it costs? I actually don't. That's one of my next projects because that's something that I want to make sure that we're, we're working on in our clinic. Well, I think one of the things that, that we've done in our office, just a suggestion, when something is not covered, like occasionally I have to give a patient intralesional steroids and we get paid nothing for them, mm-hmm. I make the patient go out and buy the steroid themselves and bring it in so I'm not going to lose money on it. That's right. So people can buy their own vaccines too. They have to find a way to do it. But yeah. Tough as that sounds, it, it may be necessary. Mm-hmm. Well, it is the reality, but of, of course, a lot of patients have the new health savings accounts, which would cover for some of these. They also have the ability to write those expenses off their taxes, 
which I don't think a lot of us emphasize enough, that if a medical expense is not covered, there is a place in your income tax to write that expense off. Let's talk about ivermectin. I started using this a few years ago. I love it. Ivermectin is an antiparasitic drug that has very good efficacy in, in treating scabies. And you can imagine if you have a scabies epidemic in a nursing home, how many people are going to be affected, not just the patients, but the staff and the family members who come to visit. All of those patients need to be treated. So imagine the simplicity of giving a patient a pill versus having to put them through the regimen of treating with the topicals or with isolation and some of the other issues that go with it. And when dosed correctly, ivermectin for body weight is actually a very safe drug. So it is something, again, that gets a rap about being a very severe drug or a systemic drug with a lot of consequence, but that's really up to us to stay educated on what those drugs can actually do. Right. I want to thank Dr. Neil Badia, who's been our guest. We've been discussing medical dermatology, where it's in danger of disappearing, and how you can get access for your patients to the glorified and rarefied dermatologists that we are. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on Reach MD 157 the channel for medical professionals. This station was created for you, so we need your feedback, comments, and questions. Send your email to xm at reachmd.com, and we truly thank you for joining us.